Hello, and welcome to tonight's episode of The Epic Pencil, a weekly evening of original fiction, conversations with writers, and more. I'm your host, Chris Watson. Thanks for joining me. I've never been much of one for writing memoir, as I've always been more of a fiction writer. However, I did blog very actively quite a few years ago about movies, sports, books, politics, and more. When my wife and I decided to adopt a little girl, then things got interesting. When a neighbor asked me how far along we were in the process, I remarked, well, if there are 150 steps, we're currently on number six. And so my adoption blog, 150 Steps, was born. It wasn't so much a memoir as almost a real-time, long-form public journal of the excitement, the frustration, the heartbreak, and finally the life-changing result. Tonight's piece, Disruption, was inspired by those events and triggered by a recent writing prompt, which read, If some things were different, other things would be otherwise. From the Griffin and the Minor Canon, by Frank R. Stockton, published in 1885. Disrupt Verb, interrupt, as in an event, activity, or process, by causing a disturbance or problem. Drastically alter or destroy the structure of something. The term in the adoption world for what we went through is disruption. I've never known if the term was intended to be diplomatic, polite, or brutally honest. All I know is that it's true for everyone involved. December 30th. I'm making chili and cornbread in preparation for our annual New Year's Eve Eve party when we get the call. The adoption agency has a placement for us, a little girl due on March 13th in Arizona. The birth mom, L, wants a closed adoption and asks the agency to select a good family and a good home. That family is going to be us. After almost 18 months of planning and waiting, followed by a Christmas tinged with sadness that there was no child in our home yet, we are about to enter the new year faced with the prospect of actually becoming parents. So of course we tell our family. There are calls to siblings and the parents we won't see tonight. At the party that evening, we tell my mother and stepfather that we have a belated Christmas gift for them, tickets to see a concert in Boston in mid-March that we aren't going to be able to use. Why not? my mother asks. Because it looks like we'll be in Arizona bringing home our daughter, I reply. Needless to say, chaos reigns for a while in our house. It feels very, very good. Elle, the birth mom, is in her mid-twenties, already a mother of two, unmarried, trying to complete college, and strongly of the opinion that she won't be able to parent this new child properly. The legal wheels in Arizona and here at home start to spin. We continue to collect items for the baby's room, preparing for life with the child. More people enter the circle of in the know. It's surprising how many people we've known for years also turn out to be adoptive parents. We politely put a stop to plans for a baby shower among friends and a not terribly well-concealed surprise party at my office. Thanks, but we really don't want to do anything until after we're home with this little girl. You know, in case anything happens with the adoption. We really appreciate the thought, but not right now. The plane tickets are booked. My wife finds a furnished apartment we'll be able to rent for the two weeks we expect to be in Phoenix as the interstate paperwork and legal processes clear. We begin to check email and home voicemail more frequently than normal, waiting for the message that says it's time to head west. 
With 10 days to go, I'm sitting in the office of a colleague when my wife calls. She never calls me on my cell phone when I'm at work. Elle has gone into the hospital and may be in labor, she reports, but the agency says she's having doubts that her family is pressuring her to call it off. The next 48 hours are a blur of emails and phone calls with the agency and our contacts in Arizona. We feel helpless. It's a closed adoption. We have no contact with Elle, and she doesn't want any with us. We can't write to her, talk to her, let her know that we are so ready to provide this child with a loving home that she can trust us. Instead, we are bystanders, and all of our words of reassurance languish unsaid. Finally, we get the word. L is having contractions, but is not yet in labor. She's home resting. She realizes that despite the pressure from her family, including her father, who is crying at the hospital, going ahead with the adoption is the right thing for her and her baby. She wants to know if we'll be there to take the baby when she's discharged from the hospital. Everything's going to be fine, right? We continue packing our bags so we'll be ready to go at a moment's notice, all the while telling ourselves that, yes, Elle can still change her mind. But the word from Arizona over the following week is still positive. Yes, Elle is still committed to this. She realizes it's her decision to make, not her family's. She's convinced that this is the right thing. So why is there this niggling sense of doubt? Throughout the entire adoption journey, we always say that until the birth mother tells us, please raise this child and the paperwork is complete, it is absolutely, without a doubt, her right to change her mind and say, no, I'm sorry, but I can't do this. I realize that I need to raise this baby. I do believe that. I truly do. But damn it, does it have to hurt so much when I answer the phone at 8 a.m. four days before the due date and listen to a faceless voice explain that it isn't going to happen, that L has changed her mind? Is this some cosmic test? Do we actually have to prove that we really believe what we say and that they aren't just some meaningless words? I can't imagine how disrupted Elle's life is during these days as she approaches the birth of her child and she's prepared to give up until her family weighs in at the hospital and in the days after. I fervently hope she made the right decision and wish Elle and her family happiness. We will never meet that little girl who started to take on such a central role in our lives despite our best efforts to stay detached. Hopefully, she's growing up happily with her siblings, her mother, and the family that fought to keep her. I hope that their passion, commitment, and love endure. A child should have all of those things. We keep telling ourselves that this is just a bump and we'll be parents someday. Our friends and family tell us the same thing. We need to believe that, because to waver, to doubt the inevitability of becoming parents is just too devastating to contemplate. We aren't the first people to go through this, but it takes a long time for the numb sensation to wear off, to not walk by the new nursery in our home and wonder about the little girl who was expected to be born on March 13th and what she would have been like to hold in our arms. Instead, my wife and I just hold on to each other, sharing a hug or a touch, a kiss or a small smile to know that we are still here, that we are still together, and that the end result will be a daughter and a wonderful future. 
six months later. I accept a new job, leaving the company that's been my professional home for 13 years. Three days later, a hurricane plunges the state into the Stone Age. We lose power, internet, phone, cellular at home. I return to my soon-to-be former office, a haven of electric light and connectivity, to prepare to depart for a new opportunity. At the end of the day, a friend in the office comes by to say hi. He's been on vacation and only just heard that I was departing. The topic of families comes up as he and his wife are due to have their first child in October after years of trying. He knows how long we've been waiting and what we went through. Don't worry, he says, it'll happen for you. Ten minutes later, my cell phone rings. It's the agency. There's a newborn in Florida. She's healthy. Her mother has seen our profile. Are we ready and willing? Three days later, I'm in Orlando, Florida, reunited with my wife, who flew down the morning after the call. My daughter is in my arms. My life is well and truly disrupted. And this time... I don't mind at all. The night I record this episode is the evening of my daughter's ninth birthday. It's been an extraordinary experience, thankfully filled with more smiles and laughter than tears and frustration, even if she did wake us up at 4 a.m. this morning too excited to stay in bed any longer. If you or someone you know is interested in adoption, there are many outstanding resources available on the web, including the National Council for Adoption, Adoption Learning Partners, Adoptive Families, and Creating a Family. Links to all of these are included in the episode notes. Thanks for joining me this week. Until we read again, I hope you find some time to plunk yourself down with a great book or two. And even though National Independent Booksellers Day was two days ago, you can still show your support for your local bookstore all year round. The Epic Pencil is copyright 2020 by Christopher Watson.